Welcome back to another episode of Not Even D2, the podcast covering D3 basketball through interviews with those involved in Division 3. Today we have the commissioner of the Empire, Chuck Machano. Just listen to some of Machano's honors. He was named one of the top 20 living Americans with influence on sportsmanship. He was named one of the 100 most influential sports educators in America, which made him the only commissioner from any division to make this list, and is the creator of the Conduct File Program that you'll hear more about later in the episode. Appreciate you all for tuning in to another episode. Now let's get into the conversation with Commissioner Matrano. We have Chuck in the building, ready to go. Super excited to have you on. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. I'm excited to be here. Yes, sir. Before we get into more about your career and being the commissioner of the Empire 8, I want to hear a little about your personal and career experiences that led you to be the commissioner. Wow. Um, it, it was quite a journey, to be honest with you. I, I was uh, playing college football. Um, I had injured my shoulder. It was probably the third time I had done that. You know, I did it twice in high school pretty badly. Um and it was just the rehab process, everything that's involved with all that. I was just like, I don't know if, if I can mentally get myself through this again and, and still enjoy it the way that I want to. Um, and at the same time, I was also really becoming more uh, entrenched in my education and what I wanted to do. Um, so I wanted to be a, a, like a feature writer uh, for college sports. Um Back then, it would have been Sports Illustrated, right? That was the magazine. So I really wanted to get into journalism, and that's what my degree was in. So uh, I chose not to play after that particular year, and I really started focusing on getting that experience. This was my junior year. Um, I, I volunteered to work in the sports information department, got a lot of experience there. And um, I also started working at the, uh, the Daily in Rochester, the Democrat and Chronicle. So at night, I would go in and we'd get call from high school coaches, college coaches, and they would give me, you know, leading scores and I'd do a little write-up. And um, so, so I really got a lot of really valuable experience at that time, which um, positioned me to, uh, to go into sports information, uh, to be a sports information director. Um, just before I actually graduated college, I had the job. And um, I also knew at that point in time that I really didn't want to become a, a journalist just because working at the newspaper, I saw, you know, the writers there until one or two o'clock in the morning editing their stories, you know, on the weekends. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to be working that late, you know, later on in my career on the weekends. Um, but I was really interested in the administrative side of athletics. So while I was working as sports information director, I was also uh, earning my master's in athletic administration from Brockport and um, got my master's, uh, became the uh, sports information director RIT, uh, then was promoted to assistant athletic director. And uh, at the time, I was actually doing the weekly uh, awards for what was to become the Empire Eight. Uh, the athletic director at RIT was the the AD, uh, the chair of the ADs for the group that became the Empire Eight. And prior to that, it was um, 
you know, really just a basketball conference and, and soccer and lacrosse. And we just, you know, it was really just doing the weekly honors for those types of things. But that gave me exposure to the conference work, um, which put me in a great position. Uh, you know, people were familiar with me. They knew my work. So when the Empire 8 position opened, it was a natural move for me. And, and I, I couldn't be happier. It's more than I could have dreamed of, really. Yeah, let, let's talk about what you dreamed of. You took the job in 2001. It's 2023. What were your initial goals for the conference back then? Yeah, it's pretty crazy to look back. In fact, it's funny. I was looking at uh, um, some of the stuff that we did in the first couple of years, and uh, it, it, we've just grown so much. So, you know, at that time, I just I started to see the promise of what athletic conferences could be. Um so when I took the job, the first time that uh, it came open, I actually declined. Um, I had just started a family, uh, you know, I was working at RIT and I didn't really know a lot about division three conferences. And so I'm like, well, it seems pretty risky. So I got to make sure I can feed my family. You know, I just stayed with the big name. Right. And after sort of observing for a year, I started to see there's a lot of potential here. And I think conferences are going to be really critical in the way that they were for Division One back in those days. And um, that's precisely what we've seen. So at that time, you know, I think there were maybe low 20s in terms of the number of conferences. Now we have 43. Wow. Um, and with, you know, AQs starting back in the early, you know, 2000s, that's when that's when multi-sport conferences became commonplace and really started growing in division three. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. A hundred percent. And since you've been in your 22 years here, what do you think has been your best idea or biggest accomplishment as commissioner? Yeah. I don't know that there's a single one. Um, the, the thing that I always say that I'm most proud of is the culture that we have amongst our conference. Um, and that really starts with the presidents. So when I started, the presidents were not involved in the conference. Um, and within the year, I got them to be involved and to have primary oversight. Um, and then, you know, we've always had great engagement with the ADs and the SWAs. And you know, when I came in, a lot of it was institutions were really just trying to protect that, their own interests and their piece of the pie. And so, for instance, if you had a game and an institution wanted to start the game later because they had classes or something like that and they didn't want to have to pull their kids out, oftentimes, you know, the other institution would be like, no, that's your problem. It's not our problem. And uh, I was not. I was not thrilled about that culture. And I knew we couldn't really grow and become a great conference if that was going to be the tone uh, with our leaders. And so we really worked hard at setting all those other things aside and being helpful to one another. And it's amazing, you know, much like a team that has a great chemistry, you know, for a conference, when you have that, that tone, you know, when you have that culture in your conference, you can achieve a lot of great things. And so I think from that, a lot of our success has been through that collaboration and uh, support and collegiality. Um, you know, we've done a lot with uh, sportsmanship programming and, you know, bringing things to the national level there. We've done a lot with legislation, uh, passing NCAA legislation and sort of 
demonstrating our leadership at the national level. Um, and then just really ultimately just enhancing the student athlete experience. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot, you know, as I look back, it's been a long time. So invariably there is going to be a lot of stuff that you can be proud of, but it really all starts with that. And you know, that tone of the conference, Yeah, it is unique. I, I love that. And we'll definitely dive into some of the leadership and programs that you've, you've created throughout your time, but what do you envision the Empire Conference to be within the near future or even the far future? Yeah. So we really have started that process of, you know, when you look at the way that higher education was impacted by COVID, you know, student athletes and institutions, right. Students, um, you know, it's it, what it did was kind of uh, accelerate the the challenges that we're going to be facing in higher ed in in upstate New York and in a lot of other areas in the Northeast and the Midwest. So you have a lot of stu lot of people, families that have left these areas um, and are going, you know, to warmer climates or you know someplace maybe where the taxes aren't as bad. And so, you know, but the number of institutions didn't change. So the competition for the number of students that are even, you know, available to go to college has drastically changed. Um, and along with that, so has the cost of doing business. I mean, you know, inflation, all those things with COVID that happened, um, you know, it really hit the economy hard. So you start to look at how can we be responsible you know, with our with our uh, institutions to make sure that we're not, you know, overspending in athletics and that we're being, you know, just fiscally responsible. And so with that, uh, it, that's when we decide, you know, it, it is appropriate for, for us to start having state institutions in the conference and really becoming more regional um, so that student athletes aren't spending a lot of time on buses. So that, um, you know, if there are overnights, they're going to be brief and they'll be affordable. Um, but, you know, looking at our, our travel situation right now, it's it's amazing. It's the best travel situation of any conference in uh, in upstate New York. And so, you know, be, becoming more regional and uh, having that responsibility is, has been, you know, a real important short term goal that we've fortunately been able to achieve pretty quickly here. Um. I have a quick question about how you're looking at the conference. It seems like you're looking at general problems within the world and not just about sports, but you're tying it into sports. Is that a role of the commissioner or do you think you're unique in that aspect? Um, I think in terms of my leadership, that's, that's part of my core values. Um, you know, Athletics was really important to me in, in my development as a human being. You know, I think everybody that has played sports probably can look back and say, or even if you didn't play sports, I had that one teacher that impacted my life dramatically. You know, I had that one coach that impacted my life dramatically. And for me, it was a coach that impacted my life dramatically and gave me a, a lot of maturity at a pretty young age to understand that athletics is really important. Like, you know, I wanted to play division one football. I'm five foot eight. I wasn't going to. Right. Um, but there, there's so many other things I could learn through playing in athletics. And, um, you know, that really became my passion is 
I know we're all here because we're fierce competitors and we want to win, but what are you going to learn from this after you graduate? How is athletics going to serve you as a person? You know, how is it going to help you make society better? And so we're very intentional about that role that athletics plays and making sure that, you know, they're learning discipline and teamwork, collaboration, uh, how to respond in adverse situations. And so I do think in a lot of ways, I, I, I'm confident I focus on that probably more than most commissioners, but that's just part of my, you know, my value system. Um, you know, I always say, I think you should work for a, an organization or a business that reflects your values. And so, you know, when I came in, we had a lot of challenges in terms of our sporting behavior. And it was a critical time for me because I didn't like what I was seeing and it wasn't reflective of what I felt was important. So I, I said, I either need to change this culture or I need to find one that fits me. Yeah. And changing the culture was a huge task, but has, has been incredibly rewarding. Um, and that really, you know, again, the support of the presidents, the ADs and making that happen has been critical. Yeah, we definitely see that sportsmanship throughout the conference. Like when we're battling, it, it's rivals, but we understand that at the end of the day, we got to learn something from playing this basketball game and be there for each other as people. So definitely respect all you're doing within the conference. I appreciate that. Yeah, we talked about the addition of some SUNY schools. And next year we got Brockport and Geneseo additions to the conference. What is the process of adding a team into your conference or a sport into your conference? Yeah, so there's there's a number of ways that it could sort of unfold. In this particular case, those institutions reached out. Um, I know the ADs very well. Brockport was a an affiliate for us in football, still is now until next year. Then they'll be a core member, but for many years. And uh, I've had good relationships with both of those directors. And, um, you know, they said, we're really interested in applying to the Empire 8. And so at the time that they contacted us, it, we weren't even, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't add a state institution as a core member. Um, our constitution said that we were, we were only comprised of private members. So that was the first step was, okay, let's see if, you know, the conference feels like this is the right time for us to start accepting state institutions. And so it was. And so from there, you know, we did uh, we have an application that they need to provide, you know, various information, um, made a campus visit to meet with leadership, to look at facilities, kind of do an overview of all of that. Um, and then, you know, the presidents and the ADs have, uh, you know, all that documentation to look at to to make that decision. So. Um, you know, the ADs and the presidents were both supportive of state institutions and, um, you know, they were all supportive of these two institutions as well. You know, again, when you look at our goal of being more regional, they fit great into our geography. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're strong academic institutions, competitive teams. Um, and those are the kinds of things that conferences tend to look for, you know, when they're trying to add institutions, they want to enhance you know, um, will they make us more competitive? Yes. Okay. Will they enhance our academic profile? Yes. Um, do they have a good location? You know, so it's kind of, kind of going through that sort of process. I'm not sure if this is hundred percent correct. Maybe you can tell us, but 
I feel like that might be a Division three aspect on what what we're focusing on when adding these schools and conferences. Are they do they fit with what we value? Are they competitively working for us and less about what is the the money and market going to be if we add this um, team? It, yeah, exactly right, Kenneth. And that's you know someone like you who's a is a Division three student athlete. You know how good you know the competition is at this level, but it is not the business model that's division one, right? Division one right now is going crazy with, you know, I don't care where you're located. If you can give us media rights, you know, leverage, we're going to bring you in. And, um, you know, that's what's happening. So that's it it, at the same time that that started becoming even more of an emphasis in division one. It it almost exactly lines up with when division three started saying we need to become more regional and, you know, really be more fiscally responsible. So it's very different for sure. Yeah. I can't wait to play against these additions. Cause like you said, th- those guys over there and girls definitely have some strong programs that's going to make the competition a lot, a lot stronger, you know, and they're also, their athletes are very similar to our athletes. You know, th- that's the other thing again, you know, when you talk about shared values, that's an important thing for us. You know, we want to know that that they're doing those educational things and and they really care about those educational things with their student athletes. And so, you know, from that perspective, they both fit really well also. Transitioning into a different topic, for those of you who don't know, the Empire has a streaming app for TVs like Roku. You can download the Empire 8 app and be able to watch um, Empire 8 teams and their sporting events. What factors were you considering when adding that streaming app and signing that deal to um, promote the Empire 8? Yeah, we we knew it was vital. And I can't remember precisely how many years ago it was. I, I want to say it was probably around eight was the first time we brought the app out. Um, but we actually started streaming games back in 2007. Mm. Um, and it was funny because just before our talk, I was looking at the old agreement that we had the first one way, way back. And it was comical, Um, but it was great. I mean, we were one of the few conferences that were really putting out a lot of streams. So we were kind of, you know, first in, first in, so to speak. Um, And now, I mean, it's the expectation. It's so commonplace, right? Um, And and it's important because there's a lot of alumnus that want to see what's happening. There's a lot of recruits, a lot of, you know, former, um, a lot of families, you know, if they can't make a trip, those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's really important to make sure that you're you're broadcasting those and uh, you're doing them in a way that, you know, reflects positively on, on the institution. Yeah, I, I really like the, the streaming app. So thank you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, do you partake in any voting for the player of the week and player of the year within the Empire specifically? No, I don't. Um that is so in terms of the annual awards on all conference and all that the coaches vote on those um they're not allowed to vote for their own players um so it's trying to just remove you know anyone who may be trying to just leverage so that their athletes can get all conference <laughs> yeah. um we've gone through a number of different sort of ways that we've done this um most recently well going back probably about six years we decided it used to be coaches made their votes and only the conference office would see those but every once in a while we would see something that didn't make sense and we felt like maybe maybe they are trying to 
to put their athlete in a position by sort of voting in a way that would help their athlete. Yeah, I got you. Um, so then once we started releasing that, so all the other coaches see exactly how you vote and you have to stand behind it, that improved things. Um, and then we took it a step further just two years ago to where we'll have them do a preliminary vote and then we'll have a call with the coaches and the conference to discuss the votes to see if anything looks off. Um, and that's a time to ask questions and give responses. And um, it's worked really well. You know, that's the important thing for us is just making sure that the most deserving student athletes are the ones that are being recognized. It's really hard. You know, there's so much talent. And of course, as a coach, you want your athletes to be recognized. Um, but what the hope is, is you look at all of them as your athletes, right? Your conference, they're all your athletes. Let's just celebrate the ones that truly, you know, are the most elite. So um, but, but to that point, I have an oversight role in that process, but, but no voting. Okay. Do you sit in on those calls within the coaches? Uh, some of them I do. Uh, oh. so we have Joe Venero. He's our associate commissioner. He really oversees all of the voting. Um, and Alyssa Pursuti is our assistant commissioner. And so one of them is always on one of those calls. And then, uh, when I'm available, I'll, I'll be on the call as well just difficult uh, sometimes with the with what we have going on. Yeah. Do you find any or hear about any controversies or heated debates within those when deciding? Very rarely. Very rarely. Okay. Yeah, very rarely, which is great. Um, but at the same time, it's also nice when there is some of that discussion because you know that they're paying attention and that they care, you know? So, um, but I think by and large, you know, we've really gotten to a point again, where everybody understands what our goal is as a conference and the ADs do a great job of making sure that their coaches understand that. And, uh, things, things tend to move pretty smoothly. So we're, I think we're pretty fortunate. Yeah. Quick question before we take a break, how, how much attention are you paying to each individual sport and each individual member within your conference? Full attention. Um, you know, there's so many things that are that happen beyond what everyone sees. You know, you see the the game results and you see the stats, and those things are all really important. Um, you know, I'm looking at a lot of the bigger picture stuff, so a lot of the leadership stuff we're talking about, a lot of the things working with the NCAA, um, trying to do really forward thinking things to help student athletes, not just in the Empire Eight, but all across Division Three. Um, you know, so keeping, keeping abreast of what's happening on a campus, um, and even outside of athletics, you know, uh, you know, they just, they're going to be building a new science building. That's great. You know, we want to know about that. That's a positive sign for the campus. Um, so we're very, very, very intimately involved with each institution. Um, sometimes depending on how busy it is, I might not know who's in first place until, I take a peek at the standing. So I know once a week I'm always checking. Um, but when it's slower then I really have time to really dig in. Yeah. Great answer. Um, that's a quick break. Sounds good. All right, we're back. And Chuck, you're the chair of the D3 championship committee. I want to hear about what the selection criteria process is like um, with that committee. Yeah, it, it's really tough. Um, 
So the selection criteria that are in place right now are part of our NCAA uh, manual legislation. So, um, and that's been in place for 20 plus years and it hasn't changed since that time. Um, so I would say about two years ago, we started this process of how can we improve our selection criteria? Um, because it doesn't, there's just a lot of, it's pretty vague. A lot of the criteria are pretty vague and open to different interpretation. And that becomes problematic because when you have 10 regional advisory committees, if they're not all focusing on the same things, you have inconsistency. And then when you have inconsistency, you have a bad product, right? And so um, trying to get something, some criteria that was maybe more specific or maybe some criteria that we haven't even considered that would help us make those selections, um, that was the goal. And as we started going through that process, we realized that um, there's this system out there, it's called pairwise, and it's used in ice hockey, divisions one, two, and or divisions one and three. And it's, a, it's an algorithm um, and it takes our current criteria and it really does, it enhances it so that it is identifying what is important and um, so going through that process, that's where we ended up coming out. You know, I thought we might end up with another metric like a, a strength of victory, you know, so you have strength of schedule, which is good. But the problem is everything that you do as an athlete is decided by what happens on the court, right? Mm -hmm. uh, strength of schedule has nothing to do with that. It's just how good were the teams that you played against? Yeah. Not whether or not you actually beat them, but you know, what, who are they playing and how strong was their schedule? That's and so, uh, yeah, so it just seems very odd, right? Um, and then as we we went through and we really looked into pairwise, we said, this should be it, period. It, the selection should be this. Uh, the criteria should be this. Um, and that's because what, what pairwise does is essentially it takes every institution and compares you against every other institution in your sport. And going through the criteria, the number of times that you win a criteria head to head, you get a point for that. So, you know, let's say if there's a hundred teams in a sport, you play 99 of them, you can get up to 99 points. Um, and it does it, you know, in lightning speed too. So, um, when we were looking at that, that seemed to be the right solution for us because at the same time, we were trying to improve the experience for student athletes at championships. You know, um, you're at a conference championship, it's decked out, it looks different, it feels different, players are hyped up. And the last thing you wanna have is for the teams going to the NCAAs to go to that NCAA first round and have it feel like it's a regular season game. Um, and so our, our committees are spending so much time on ranking calls, you know, hours and hours. And then on selection calls, you know, some of these selection calls go 12 to 14 hours. Mm. And we're spending so much time trying to identify who should be what seed that we're not able to focus on how are we gonna make this a better experience for the student athletes. So in looking at this, it really achieves 
in, in my view, two important goals. Number one is it improves the selection process uh, significantly, but more importantly, it will end up allowing us to do things that will enhance the student athlete experience far more. You know, we'll just be in a much better position to succeed in that area by adopting a system like Pairwise, which will get it right, and will also allow us to start talking about those important things on the smaller level to make sure that when you go to your NCAA championship, it's going to be a great experience for, for you. No matter who you're playing, no matter what sport, we want them all to be, you know, top-notch experiences. So that all started with the selection criteria discussion. Um, so right now, what we've been doing is we've been doing a lot of um, Zoom education systems with uh the current selection committees uh, from all different sports, the, the current regional committees, we've done some with the Commissioners Association, and we're going to do some with the uh, Division Three uh, administrators. Um, get feedback to see if people are interested in this, if they like it. So far, the feedback has been extremely positive. Um, and then the goal would be probably sometime in May. Uh, the championships committee will decide whether or not this is the route that we want to go. Um, so if that is the case, as we're getting this feedback, if we see that's the case, then the fall of 24, we would start using pairwise for our, our selections and for our selection criteria. That's dope. So that would be for every sport you'll use that, that program? Uh, for all the team sports. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I like it. Um, I want to circle hopefully, back. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I want to circle back to um, enhancing the tournament to make it not feel like a regular season game, but like your NC the NCAAs. What ways are you able to maneuver that so that it feels like an intense atmosphere, more like your conference championship instead of a regular season game? Yeah, there's a number of things. So the first thing that we we think about is who are our eyes and ears on site? And so right now we identify um, people to serve as site rep for the NCAA. So could be a basketball coach from another team in your league who, you know, is going to go watch, uh, you know, Alfred play against uh, Colby in the first round. Um, okay, so he's going to be the site rep and he's responsible or she is responsible to make sure that all of the things that the host is required to do that they're they are doing it and they're doing it the right way if there's a problem with a, a hotel that person needs to know so that it can be addressed um signage um you know that that tends to be one of the things that falls through and that, again that's the most visible um if an institution is ho hosting one or two uh um different championships on a weekend and they have eight teams there you know, that's tough. Yeah. That's a lot to ask of them. So if there's not some really good planning with the NCAA in advance, um, you're going to be open to issues. And unfortunately for us, getting site reps in advance and getting them informed and educated about their role has been difficult because, again, you know, we're, these committees are, are working selection Sunday, you know, 12 hours to make the decision. And then it's like, OK, well, now we have to find someone to work this game. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's been the challenge. Uh, and a lot of it is, you know, those little things that make it a great experience. You know, the signage, the um, the locker room, what does the locker room look like? What kind of things are being done for the student athletes? Or is it you're just on your own and, you know, good luck? Um, 
you know, those things are really important. And then after that, it's getting the feedback from the site rep, from the coaches, from the athletes. What kind of experience was that for you? And then evaluating that and seeing how we can improve that moving forward. And so, again, I think when, you know, if we're, if the division feels like this parawise is the way to go, you're going to see a tremendous, you know, increase in, in, just what the championship experience looks like for student athletes. Um, the, the reality is we're just not in a position right now to be able to do that uh, because of how much time we, we spend on making the selections themselves. So with the thought process of adding pairwise, has there been a second thought process expend, expanding off of that, whether to expand the um, NCAA playoffs and, how how much difference is it? Would it be expanding all of the sports or just like basketball and football? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And that is right now we're we're going through a review of our budget uh, priorities for the next two years, um, and we've been doing a lot of surveying of the membership to get their feedback. Um, and one of those things that we are being that is being considered is expanding. Um, you know, the tournament field and, uh, and ways, different ways to do that. Um, so for instance, right now for us, for every six and a half teams that sponsor a sport, there should be one bid for that sport. Um, so one of the thoughts is maybe that should be reduced to every six teams. So instead of six and a half, it's six. Mm -hmm. Um, the, another one that's being looked at is, you know, uh, having uh, identified the number of your AQs in a sport. So let's say there's 20 AQ, AQs in a sport, and then 50% of that number would be your number of at-larges. Um, so, okay, the conferences have their access. They've got 20, and now we're going to have 10 at-large berths. Um, so that's another model that's being considered. And then, you know, there's another model. It's called the equity model, um, and that is – Similar to what we just described, except for after you take out all your AQs, it applies a ratio of could be one to 15 or one to 17. So for every, we'll say 15 uh, uh, institutions that are eligible for at large, uh, for every 15, one of those will go into the tournament. Um, and looking through all the models, all of these would would slightly expand um, the opportunity for, uh, championships, uh, if the, if the, uh, committee goes in that direction. Do you think that there is, uh, like most people are on board with expanding or is there any pushback and what would that pushback be for not expanding the tournament? Yeah, it's tough to say. So there's a, there's a couple of issues and that's a really great question. Uh, a couple of the issues is, Right now, we kind of, we work on this mandate of the championships have to be conducted in three weeks. Um, and so when you look at expanding, it could still be done in that time frame. Um, however, if you spread it out over four weeks, it's going to be a lot more um, manageable for institutions. So I, I think people hear that expanding four weeks and they say, oh, we don't I don't want to do that. Uh, and the reality is it's going to expand it to four weeks for two institutions, whoever makes that championship, right? It's not going to, not going to expand it for everybody. 
because um, there's just always concern of that creep of, you know, well, you know, used to be we were done in the middle of November. Now we're going to be done, you know, end of November after Thanksgiving, yeah. you know, first week of December, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it, it's, it fits the spirit of Division Three just in terms of providing, you know, quality opportunities for student athletes. And, you know, we're certainly at a point as well where a lot of really good teams um, are not making the tournament because there's just not enough spots. And uh, it's tough when you can't reward a team, but th that's always going to be the case. You know, you could cut it off at any number. And, you know, if we say it's going to be 60, the 61st team is going to be, you know, yeah. out of luck and unhappy. So there's no perfect solution, but I think, you know, uh, providing more experiences, I think would be really, really positive. Yeah. I hope that the expansion definitely gets approved or like you said, it, it sucks leaving a team out and then, not that our main focus should be, oh, what about how they're feeling? But those players' feelings, like, dang, I was one team away from being able to extend my career for the next however many playoff games I would have got. Right. Yeah. And that's the stuff you take with you, right? I mean, that's the stuff you always remember. And, you know, if we have the financial wherewithal to to help make that happen more, so you yeah. know, hopefully we can do it. Yeah. Transitioning into one of the programs you created, the Conduct Foul Program, which is very nationally used, I want you to describe a little bit about how that started, what it is, and how that how you think that helps student athletes and institutions as a whole. Yeah, I I think it's critical. I mean, that, when you talk about things that I'm most proud of, this certainly would be one of those things. Um, you know, this is where we we insert the educational process into collegiate competition. Um, and so what we do is we identify um, the 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 fouls or the penalties in each sport that are deemed to be unsporting by that sports rules. Right. So every sport has these infractions. Um, you know, soccer's got yellow cards. Some of them are for unsporting behavior. They have red cards. Basketball, of course, has technicals. Everybody has ejections. Um, so we just use the rules from that sport. We aren't saying we're making up the rule. We're just using what's already in place, and um, we're tracking on that. And so the first year we did that, which was my first year in the conference, wow. uh, because our second year in the conference, because I was just concerned about some of the behavior I was seeing. And again, I talked about wanting to, to improve the culture. Um, we collected the data, but we collected it at the end of the year. And it was the first year. So I said, well, number one, I don't even know if this is good or bad. There's nothing to compare it to. And then number two is I think we've lost a lot of opportunity here because we see an institution that had a lot of technical files and we, we were not engaged with them to help change that in real time. Um, so what the first adjustment we made was institutions were reporting those in real time. Uh, the next year. And the coach specifically had to report those. Um, and the reason we did it that way is because we wanted the coach to be engaged in thinking about those things as well. And so by having that individual submit it, that's paperwork, it's documentation, it might require a conversation with a student athlete. And that's really the goal. It's just raising that level of awareness and what we would see is naturally it started to evolve into those educational discussions. 
you know, if you have a student athlete that was just kicked out of a game, you've got to report to the conference office. Number one, you know, it's going to be reviewed by the conference potentially for more penalty, but also you're like, I don't want to have to, you know, call the commissioner and say, you know, sorry, this happened. This is what was up. And so, you know, the coaches start to take inventory of that. The, the presidents, the ADs, they're more aware of it. You know, if something happened, you know, back in the day, if, if you had a technical foul or an ejection and your team was on the road, the athletic director might not know about it. Um, so this process just made sure everybody was informed and aware. And then when we started doing it in real time, that's when you could start seeing it making an impact. Um, that's when teams started, you know, adjusting. And it, it, it's funny because I used to do a lot of speaking on sportsmanship when I first started. And it was, it was always around the value of just being a good person and treating people the right way and, you know, being respectful. And those were all things I cared about, but that's not how you change the culture because there's going to be people there that are just like, this guy's talking about a fairy tale. This is not reality. Mm -hmm. And so what I really started to do was tie it to winning. And I think that the team that has that ability to discuss sportsmanship and the importance of behavior and responding to adverse situations and being disciplined, that's the best team. The most disciplined teams are the best teams. And it doesn't just start with how you conduct yourself. You know that, right? It's what are you doing in the off season? How disciplined are you to go out there and do that workout that you know you need to do, but it's pretty crappy out and I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. No coach is ever going to say, I wish my team was more disciplined, right? And so when you start to correlate those two things, it clicks. And that's when those who maybe really didn't believe in the message of positive sportsmanship start to say, this is true. This We have to have a, a culture of discipline and a culture of excellence. And so, you know, it, we're really fortunate because we've been at it for a long time, but we, you know, we see a, a big difference between, you know, the, the way that our, our athletes conduct themselves and a lot of the other conferences. So we've, we've just always cared about it and been really, really intentional about that. Yeah. I was reading that a ton of division two and division one, even high school programs are starting to use this conduct file program. Are you getting alerts that, or do people have to ask you to use that? How does that process work? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, so when I started the program, I would say after about three years that we ended up doing it for all division three and a number of sports because people heard about it. They're really intrigued by it. And we're like, you know, this could work for you. This could change things. Um, and then eventually division two came along as well. In division one, I would get contacted by, you know, commissioners individually, but as, as a complete division, they didn't say we're doing this, but they, you know, a lot of them started picking it up. And then it was really neat because then I started seeing high schools picking it up and I would see something, this, this one in Texas and this one in Colorado and someone from Georgia would call me. And so it was really exciting to see it pick up that uh, momentum to the point where now, you know, it's really embedded in a lot of the things that we do in a sport and, and some people may not even realize it. Yeah. This is something I, I recently heard hearing about, but I definitely am a big fan of that and respect all you've done for the conference for sure. I appreciate that. And listen, you know, 
I, I think this is the other thing too of this is it's not a punitive thing. It, it's an educational thing. You know, as a, as a coach, doesn't matter if you're the coach or the athlete, you're going to make mistakes in life, right? And so you deserve a second chance, but how are you going to get better? You know, how are you going to be better the next time? And um, this is meant for that purpose, to, to help young people make good decisions in tough situations and, you know, see the benefit of that. And, you know, the coach is really the educator in that situation, as is the AD. Um, and you, you start to see team cultures change. It's, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. And, uh, it's great to see how student athletes, uh, adapt to it and coaches adapt to it. I love that. We're running out of time here, but I want to end this episode with another rapid fire and starting five edition. So you ready for the rapid fire? Oh, not really. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Your favorite sport? I love watching NFL football. NFL football. You got a favorite team? Absolutely. Uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, that's not very good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> favorite athlete? I love the Bills, too, but I'm, I grew up a Packers fan, and they're, they're always in my heart. So. I got you. Favorite athlete? Ooh. My favorite athlete – there's there was Mike Singletary was my favorite uh, football player. He's a linebacker for the Chicago Bears, mm-hmm. and uh, I just loved his intensity and uh, the way he played the game. Just really aggressive. Um, so he was he was my favorite athlete. Of course, there was Brett Favre. You know, as a Packers fan, especially at that time, you know he was like a hero for everyone. Um, but I, I have so much respect for so many different athletes. Yeah. It's it's just insane. Um, I, I think anybody that's playing at a high level, even if it's, you know, high school, um, you know, I'm just amazed at the athleticism that athletes have nowadays. It's, it's absolutely bonkers. You could go to a, a division three game and you could see someone that could, they could probably play in the pros, 100%. you know, that's how good the talent is. It's crazy. And then the last rapid fire question, is there any commissioner World, not worldwide, but like throughout any division that you admire. Oh gosh, yeah, many. Okay, um, here a few. He, yeah, so uh, Dick Rasmussen right now he's uh, Division Three, uh, University Athletic Association, uh, UAA. Um, he's someone when I came in as a younger person, you know, he was really helpful to me in my career. Um, you know, he's just a encyclopedia of knowledge, just from legislation to sports to everything. And so, um, and that was one of the things that was really great uh, when I came in as a young commissioner. At the time, I was the youngest commissioner in the country um, ever, I think, wow. at that time. I don't, I don't know if anybody younger came along uh, since then, but um, to have a group of commissioners that I could you know, feel engaged with and supportive of, uh, they were really helpful. And so that was really great. Um, I have a good relationship with Greg Sankey at the SEC. Um, it's kind of a, it's an interesting connection, but um, Greg uh, went to Utica and he worked at Utica running the intramural programs. Or uh, He didn't go to Utica, but he was working at Utica and there was that connection. And so one day I just reached out and said, hey, 
you don't know me, but uh, you know, I'm the commissioner of Utica's conference and he's like, Oh, that's great. And so, you know, he and I uh, talk pretty regularly and it's, you know, he's at the the top of it in terms of division one. So to be able to learn from him and get perspective from him on things that, yeah, of course, it's not going to be a hundred percent what we can do in division three, but there's certainly things that are scalable Mm -hmm. that we could do our version of, um, and so I spent some time there with him uh, at his office and with his staff and really got an interesting insight into that division one model and, you know, lessons that I can learn from them and potentially use to, you know, benefit us here at the Empire 8. Yeah. This edition of starting five is going to be Empire 8 players and history that you've seen. So if you were a sem- if you were the coach and you wanted to pick the five best players who would you take and just give a brief description of what you admired about them, why they were so good, anything of that? Yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is somewhat of a cop out, but the best thing I can do is say this is our 25th anniversary. And this year we will be doing our 25th anniversary teams. Mm-hmm. And so that will be the place where, okay. you know, you can kind of talk about the cream of the crop. That will probably be some really good content for you to, you know, debate some of the people that are on there, but I mean, the talent's been enormous. Um, you know, there's players that, um, men's and women's players that I've seen come through that are just so talented. And, uh, you know, again, I think there's so, there's just such an underestimation of the, the talent in division three. Um, you play, you probably see guys on your team that, that could be playing at a higher level. Yeah. And you probably see guys you play against that could be playing at a higher level. Um, but they're drawn to division three because it's, it's just a balance. You know, you have the ability to play at a high level and also still be a college student and enjoy life. And I have a son that plays division one lacrosse and I had a son that played division three lacrosse. They're two very different experiences. I bet. And, uh, it affirmed to me that division three is the right model. So we, we get a ton of great athletes just because they're, they're well-rounded and they, and they know what's going on. Another great story. I appreciate your time, Mr. Matrano. Said your last name incorrectly. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day and enjoy the break. Thanks, Kenneth. I appreciate it. Good luck with the podcast and good luck to the Saxons this year. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm.